The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. Guess what? I'll be your host for today. I'm a spiritual journeyman and media consultant. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com, and I'm at the Center for Spiritual Living Greater Baltimore at cslgreaterbaltimore.org. Joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Spiritual Rebel, Sarah Bowen. Sarah's the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. And she's got a really cool book coming out soon. I, I'm not going to tell you about it yet, but it's cool. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing today? <laughs> you must have intuited that I had just gotten off the phone with my publisher. <laughs> that is very cool. You'll have to, I mean, have we talked about it at all at this point? Are you able to talk about it? Yeah, or it... I think we did talk a little bit about it. I have a new book coming out called Sacred Sendoffs, and it's a book about the relationship between humans and animals, which should be no surprise uh, to anyone who's listened to my pipings in on Big Universe on behalf of the other species, whether they're, uh, you know, Wookiee or squirrel or dog. <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Is there a release date at this point? It's being released in April and we go into pre-order in about two weeks. So that's exciting. So sacredsendoffs.com has all the information on the kind of pre-order, uh, you know, the swag you get if you order early and that kind of stuff. Oh, very cool. So everybody's going to have to going to have to order early. Make sure you do that. All right. Well, we've got something different here today. We're talking about the combination of spirituality and technology how they might work together for the better and and what to be you know aware of and it's you know as i think about it you know tech is so important to spirituality right now in terms of what we've had to do since the coronavirus um you know we've we've accelerated our use of internet technology and our computers to actually have services online we have dedicated apps that people uh, that people are using for meditation and all that kind of stuff. I think it's, I think it is changing us already. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, that we tend to think of technology now as something that's online based, whereas, you know, like even, okay, this is a stretch for some people, but even the Bible was technology at one point, like a printed book. Oh, you're right. That's true. That's a good point. It was scrolls that were in in synagogues or in churches. And then when you got this portable format that you could carry around and have in your own place, I mean, that's the beginning of a personal spirituality way back then, too. So I've been intrigued. We've all been spending a lot of time on Zoom. I think that's probably the one thing that comes to mind now in in this COVID time. At the seminary where I teach at One Spirit, we had been doing Zoom prior to the pandemic. So had, you know, really gotten our feet wet in, in what, what does it look like to have a ritual? Or what does it look like to pray or meditate or worship on Zoom? And, you know, so I have a lot of opinions about that, but I'm wondering, Jim, what about you? Have you been doing any spirituality over Zoom? Well, with CSL Greta Baltimore, we've been doing our services exclusively online at this point. And, um, you know, via Zoom primarily and Facebook Live occasionally and that sort of thing. I have to say that we've gotten congregants from many other places that we wouldn't have gotten them from. Um, We've done pretty well in terms of maintaining and even increasing our um, status in terms of what we're able to bring into the church. Um, You know, it's been a positive thing for us. We're, We're planning once things do go back in person and, you know, with the resurgence of various uh, variants of, of coronavirus, I don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but we're planning to continue uh, being online, you know, for, for the foreseeable future as well, whether we go into a personal, you know, in person as well, you know, at some point too, but we're planning to continue that. And I have to say also, you know, I, I do use apps like uh, the there's a tapping solution app, which for tapping, which I, I use, um, I used to use regularly, and I'm going to start using regularly again, because it's helpful to me. And, uh, you know, so I do take, take use of that. Yeah, I, uh, a couple of years ago, started using Insight Timer for meditation. Right, right, and right. I actually have recorded a couple of meditations. I'm an Insight Timer, oh, secret, I'm an Insight Timer teacher. Oh, neat. So, yeah, so I've done some uh, kind of interspecies meditations that I do on there. So I found for me, it's it's really kind of a balance of, of needing to make sure that I have some time where I'm unhooked from technology and yes. some time where it's useful. Yes. And I'm, I'm really interested to talk with our interviewer, uh, our interviewee, excuse me, today uh, about that as well, about this balance, uh, because I do find sometimes that there are there are some plus and, and negatives to when I get hooked into something. For example, when I'm trying to meditate on my app, and then all my ding, 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 emails come through, right? right. <laughs> Whereas, as opposed to when I go out into the forest and I sit down and I leave my phone in the car, uh, I tend to get less dings unless someone else is walking by and and has their phone on. So I think today's topic is really interesting to look at all of the different sides of how can technology help us and also, you know, how do we maintain good balance with it? I want to get your reaction to this quote that I got from the book, Kate Stockley's book. Um, And this is by Nicole Bradford. And she says, or he says, I'm not sure, we are on the edge of the next phase of humanity. And it's incredibly exciting. We're in the moment. The next 15 years decide if our future is more Star Trek or more Hunger Games. I think it's probably a combination of both. Yeah, yeah. And 
And what hit me about that quote, too, is we really have a lot of issues right now with hunger, how how we live and the, you know, kind of how many humans are here and, and what's happening with all of these issues. So I don't know. And I, and I wonder what is the uh, relationship between spirit tech and these issues in the world beyond our own personal spirituality. When we talk pro-sociality, when we talk about compassionate service, when we talk about inclusion, mm-hmm. how can spirit tech help beyond us just feeling, you know, blissed out or calm or cool or, or managing our own internal environments? Mm, that's a very good point. Well, we're going to Star Trek or Hunger Games, Jim. I want to believe it's Star Trek. Excellent. I'm, I'm... Or it could be Firefly. I haven't talked about Firefly. In quite I don't know. Some Firefly time. is a little negative, a little negative out there too. But probably, we'll probably. But we'll see what Kate has to say. Maybe we'll ask her that question as well. So, do you have a quote for us today? It's a little off-topic from what we were just talking about, but let's try it anyway. Here it is. Your mantra is thank you. Just keep saying thank you. Don't explain. Don't complain. Just say thank you. Say thank you to existence. That's very nice. Who's that? That's Muji. Do you know Muji? I don't know Muji. I've heard of I've heard of it, but Muji I Muji is M O O J I and Muji uh was uh born in Jamaican and has a, had a really interesting uh kind of spiritual journey since then. He's worth googling, folks. I will definitely google him. All right, here's mine. Again off topic, but compassion is the ultimate and most meaningful embodiment of emotional maturity. It is through compassion that a person achieves the highest peak and the deepest reach in his or her search for self-fulfillment. I'm totally stealing that for one of our services at Compassion Consortium. Who is that? Arthur Gersilt. He was an American psychologist. He worked a lot with uh, children and adolescents. So we're talking compassion, we're talking gratitude, and we're talking technology today on Big Universe. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. Well, before we uh, jump into the episode, I just wanted to mention and send my love to my dad who made his uh, transition about a week ago. Uh, This guy, he was an amazing guy. He was a great dad to me. And, um, you know, one of the things that he was very proud of was that at age 91, this past January, he published an an article in a major engineering magazine. And, uh, you know, the guy was steeped in his... uh, industry and he was he was so well received there and you know i just i'm i'm so proud of him and you know what's what's also interesting is as he was you know making his transition he had also had some concerns about ai in his industry and wondered uh you know i kind of wonder what he would make of the conversation today anyway i just want to say i miss you dad love you and um you know keep him keep him in my heart May he have a most auspicious whatever's next. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. You ready to jump into the show? Let's do it. And now it's time for our interview. Dr. Kate Stockley has a PhD in the scientific study of religion and is a part-time lecturer in Boston University's Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies program. She's also assisting with a course at Harvard University this fall and is a fellow at the Center for Mind and Culture in Boston, where she's currently embarking on a project to study the religion experiences of COVID-19 patients, which sounds really fascinating to me. She's the co-author of a book called High on God, which explores the powerful emotional dynamics driving American megachurches. 
Kate's latest book, Spirit Tech, The Brave New World of Consciousness Hacking and Engineering Enlightenment, co-authored with Dr. Wesley J. Wildman, looks at how brain-based technologies are being applied by spiritual seekers to set in motion a new post-secular wave of spirituality in the United States. Hi, Kate. Thanks for joining us on Big Universe. Hi, Jim. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's very exciting. I'm, you know, I, I, I know we're here to talk about spirit tech, but you got to tell me a little bit about the uh, the religion experiences of COVID-19 patients and, and what's going on with that. What What's that about? Well, we're just, just barely kind of embarking on this project, but um, uh, the research that, I, that I'm working with out of Wales um, heard a story and uh, about a p- person's religious experience that he had had in the hospital and it kind of sparked our interest to think like surely this um there are more folks like this you know people who um are dealing with illness often have religious experiences and the particular factors involved with COVID-19 it being um a global collective trauma um the isolation that patients experience when they're in the hospital the kind of intense um and so and sometimes uncertain uh, types of treatments that people were experiencing. So we just figured that there, there is surely um, a story to be told there and something worth exploring for um, just sort of the general exp- uh, the study of religious and spiritual experiences. So, and we're just starting um, kind of creating a, a survey and questionnaire to get some data. Well, that sounds fascinating. I'm I'm very interested in that as well. So I'm I'm really interested in the the scientific study of religion and how you got into that. What what drew you to this subject in the first place and and the combination of things? Yeah, um, I started out studying religion, and one of the reasons that I wanted to study religion is because I felt that it was one of the that religion, religious behavior, religious beliefs, religious thoughts, and um, feelings were some of the most interesting types of things that humans do, you know, some one of the most interesting dimensions of the human experience and um, kind of representative of the human experience in a lot of ways. And so I thought I wanted to learn more about that. Um, And the reason that I chose to do that within the academic study of religion, as opposed to say, choosing a field like psychology of religion or sociology of religion, um, I felt that from a religious studies department and perspective that I would be able to use whatever methods and theories um, I needed to. So I could use psychology and I could use sociology. I wouldn't be kind of pinned down. And that ended up being even truer than I ever mentioned, I think, because, um, you know, the academic study of religion is full of history, textual studies, phenomenology, philosophy, all these different things that I got to kind of dabble in, right? And then um, more, you know, the more contemporary study of religion also includes things like cognitive science and neuroscience um, and evolutionary biology, even kind of understanding humans, humans place and the way that human cognition and even religious and spiritual cognition has evolved. um, And, and how this has become something that um, potentially seems to be a boon for the survival of the human species. (laughs) So um, I started researching and kind of incorporating those perspectives relatively independently during my master's. I did a master's at the University of Washington in Seattle, and um, I had a great advisor who just kind of was like, go for it, you know, if you're interested in those kinds of things, let's see what's out there. So um, so he encouraged that, and then I found the Boston University um, had one of the best programs for looking at cognitive science and neuroscience and evolutionary biology of religion. So um, it's one of the only 
um, places that really dives in from a religious studies point of view. A lot of um, other cognitive scientists of religion are actually housed within cognitive science or neuroscience or psychology programs. So Boston University's program was unique in that way. But, um, but yeah, it just seemed like there was so much to understand and to, um, to grapple with the human experience from that perspective. So I just, I loved it. I love it. <laughs> I love to study. Well, that's fascinating. I, I'm curious just what kind of background you come from in terms of a spiritual background and if that had any, any impact on, you know, your work and what you're doing now and, and kind of where you are now with the perspective. Yeah, I was raised in a in the Lutheran church in kind of the most progressive wing of the Lutheran church's um, um, denomination. So the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the ELCA, um, for it's, it's, it might be a little misleading because it has the word evangelical in it, but it's not actually an evangelical uh, denomination. It's, I mean, what was we sort of popularly think of as evangelical. Um, it's more mainline. It's a mainline tradition. Um, anyways, the, the pastor that I had growing up in my kind of um, Sunday school and confirmation experiences, I was very involved in the church. Um, we're all very welcoming of questions. And by the way, the ELCA, for example, is um, open and affirming to the LGBTQIA community. Um, and, and so I was always really encouraged to ask questions and to explore and to wonder and to, and I didn't really feel um, obligated necessarily to, you know, certainly not read the Bible literally or, um, and I'm not saying that this is a, an official viewpoint of the church, sure, but sure, I right. felt very, I, I never felt tied down to necessarily even believing everything 100%, you know, I didn't feel guilty, for example, when I started to kind of wonder which pieces were <laughs> what right. I was going on to in my belief structure and things like that. So um, at this point in my life, I think throughout the experience of studying religion from a, an academic point of view for so long and really diving deep and learning so much about other spiritual and religious traditions throughout the world, you know, I certainly, um, my beliefs have changed and I think, but I still consider myself a, a spiritual person. I, um, I'm interested in energy healing. I'm interested in understanding the um, deeper dynamics of the human experience of consciousness of how we're connected um, energetically, um, spiritually, in, in the mind-body connection is really interesting to me. So I think in my own life, um, um, my studies of religion have really enriched and kind of enabled this insight into um, the, the wisdom traditions that exist. And then I kind of, you know, pick and choose from those. Um, and through, yeah, and even through like contemporary spirituality um, movements, I find all of it really interesting, both from an academic point of view. And then also, you know, um, I, I'm really playful with it from, from a personal point of view, too. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, let's dive into spirit tech. I guess um, I, the first question is an obvious question. What is spirit tech? What is considered spirit tech? Um, so the way that we kind of narrowed down the what we we're going to include in this book, um, we look at specifically brain-based spirit tech. So technologies, which is broadly defined, technology is broadly defined, um, technologies that influence the brain, influence brain states in such a way as to influence um, spiritual experiences. So there might be many other ways to define spirit tech. For example, 
um, broadly defined technology can be uh, many different types of things, stone tools, right? Um, uh, the wheel, even things, and throughout like thinking about the um, contemporary spirituality, things like um, crystals and, um, and bodily technologies, forms of movement, forms of um, ways of kind of manipulating the mind and the body, especially with material objects. Um, material objects have always been a part of as ways for ways to kind of um, focus or enhance one's experience to kind of hold on to, you know, the Catholic rosary is a material object that's kind of a central thing. So, um, but from the spirit tech uh, point of view, from our, our point of view, at least in this book, we're really interested in forms of technology that experience or that influence brain states. So that would therefore we don't focus very much on like just plain old apps. Um, and actually I, I say that plain old apps as if it's dismissive and I don't really mean it to be <laughs> like the calm app, you know, I've got it on my phone. I love it. It's a right, right, right. thing. Yeah. But we don't really talk about the calm app or other like um, apps that include that have a uh, uh, guided meditations. Guided meditations are amazing, right? But that's um, but we're interested in something maybe that pairs guided meditation with neurofeedback or brain stimulation, something that's kind of influencing directly um, the brain. So let's let's jump into some of that in terms of you know what when you talk about uh, you know the brain manipulation, the, the stimulation. What is that about? Tell me a little bit about that and and what's going on in that realm. Um, yeah, so the, the two that I kind of just mentioned were um, neurofeedback and brain stimulation. So neurofeedback doesn't actually, it's what we would call non-invasive. So it doesn't sort of invasively um, put any type of stimulation into the brain. Uh, the type of stimulation that it does use or type of kind of uh, influence that it exerts is through auditory feedback and visual feedback. So it shows, it creates sounds for you and it um, shows pictures as forms of feedback to kind of guide your brain. Um, that being said, it is influencing your brain because those, those sounds and pictures um, your brain finds rewarding, right? So. So this is, so basically you, you, you do a function and you get rewarded visually or auditorily. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. But specifically with the case of neurofeedback, it's your brain doing the thing. Um, so maybe I should back up and to just say that this is based on um, uh, brain waves. So our brain uh, has all sorts of electrical activity that's happening all of the time, um, and it can produce different type of um, types of waves, different speeds of waves with different frequencies. Um, and different frequency brainwave frequencies are associated with different types of cognition. So, for example. Um, sleeping, when your brain is sleeping, it produces very slow rhythmic waves, which we would call like theta waves. Um, and when your brain is um, doing something that requires a lot of focus and a lot of um, um, a, a direct kind of fast thinking, it's going to produce somewhat faster frequency of brain waves, but which what we would call beta waves. And so this is sort of, this is just science that we've known for a long time. But the idea of neurofeedback is that it can kind of, first, it reads the waves that your brain is producing, 
and different areas of the brain can produce different frequency of, of waves at the same time. And so you, so you actually put on a device in order to, to access these waves, is that right? To see yeah. what's going on with the waves, okay. Yeah, you put on an, an um, electroencephalograph, so an EEG head, head set, okay. Okay. The, um, electrodes that read what types of brain waves your brain is producing. And then um, if you desire, for example, to wake up a certain area of the brain or to calm down a certain area of the brain, um, you'll try to maybe put in some, some sort of effort to do that. But the idea actually is that you don't even need to do anything on a conscious level. Rather, your brain will sort of be producing all of these different waves. And when it produces the desired wave or when it approximates the desired frequency, uh, the feedback system of the neurofeedback will, the computer basically, will produce a sound or a visual that your brain finds rewarding. So, so the feedback is really sort of this conversation between your brain and the technology. And you, your conscious self, you're kind of just sitting there letting it do the work, right? Um, in the case of neurofeedback guided meditation, I think that the, the idea would be that you try to meditate and you're kind of in that place and um, you try to kind of put your, your own um, somewhat effort, although even effort in terms of meditation is, um, is not always the way that we want to phrase that about meditation. But, but when neurofeedback is used for treatment of, say, um, ADHD or anxiety, uh, the idea is that you just kind of sit quietly and let your brain do the work. So, Kate, let me ask you a question about that. When we talk about a, a sound or something that's visual that the brain likes or that's rewarding the brain, is that the same for everyone? Or is this an individual type thing where I may like one type of my brain might like something and your brain might like something else? Can you talk about whether this is kind of a universal experience or it's unique? That's such an interesting question. And to be honest, I, I think that there might be some diversity, but I haven't heard a lot of conversation about that. So when I first, I, I did back, and when I first went into the office uh, and heard the sounds, the kind of beeps and blings that were coming from the, from the program, I thought, those are kind of annoying. I don't really want to <laughs> you know? Yeah, that, that's, that's the question I'm having. <laughs> it, it sounded like a casino, which... Of course, it's interesting thinking that the casino might be trying to approximate the rewarding Well, sound. that's interesting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but turns out, you know, maybe my conscious self thinks it's annoying, but my brain kind of likes it or wants, you know, it, it finds it rewarding to try to um, create more of the rewarding sounds and less of the, you know, the non-rewarding sounds. But um, that being said, so the auditory feedback may or may not be um, more or less sort of... Uh, um, universal, I want to say. I don't know, though. Maybe maybe some people go into the office and they realize, oh, this really isn't working for you. Let's try these other types of tones. Um, but I'm not sure about that. I will say, though, for the visual feedback, there does seem to be a lot of different types of options. And so that might be more, I'm not sure if that's um, on a more technical level, like a, a brain diversity level, or if it's just kind of, um, there are lots of options. So for example, um, you might see an image of a beautiful flower kind of blooming and the reward is for it to bloom wider. Whereas if your brain is not doing what it's, um, what you're, what the, what the program is sort of desiring it to do, um, maybe the, 
the flower will start to close a little bit. So your brain will try to kind of keep it open by doing, by producing the, the positive waves. We'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We're talking with Kate Stockley. So, Kate... Let's talk a little bit more about some of the tech, some of the technology that people can use. What about, you know, there's a, a side of things that is actual direct stimulation of your brain. Tell me a little bit about some of that going on in this this tech universe, spiritual universe. Yeah, the way that we can directly stimulate the brain has been of interest to folks for a long time. Well, not that long because we haven't been able to do it for that long. But as, lo- as, as soon as we realized that we could stimulate the brain, folks wanted to, to see how to make that happen. Um, and so this has been a treatment for things like resistant treatment depression, which can be extremely devastating. And to have folks who, to finally have some sort of uh, treatment that can af- be effective for folks is really incredible. So, um, so it's been a lifesaver in that sense. Um, and now um, folks are interested in the way that we can stimulate the brain to produce altered states of consciousness that, um, that look and feel um, some very similar to deep states of meditation. So, so this is, you put on a helmet or something and there's direct stimulation electronically, is that right? Energetically? There are several different kinds. So the two that we sort of focus the most on in the book are uh, electrical stimulation and uh, actually ultrasound stimulation. Oh, okay. Yeah. So currently on the market, you can get an electrical stimulation e-meditation headset. Um, and that those are um, out there produced by a couple really great thinkers who um, have been in the meditation space for a really long time and have uh, been working on this technology for a long time. So the idea is that the, the electrical stimulation um, speeds up the time it takes to enter a deep state of meditation and can kind of deepen that state a little bit. So these have been used on meditation retreats with expert meditators who say, yeah, we, we did really um, have this effect, this desired effect. Um, so one popular one is the Zendo meditation, e-meditation headset. So people can Google that if they're interested. The other thing that we focus on is the um, ultrasound brain stimulation. And this is much, uh, much more at, on the research uh, stage of development. So there's still, um, it's very, uh, I'll say that the b- benefit or the reason that ultrasound brain stimulation is so exciting and potentially um, transformative in this sense, in this space, is that ultrasound can penetrate much more directly and deeper into the brain than um, electricity. Interesting. So, yeah. So they're able to really target very, very, very specific areas of the brain that might really be kind of the crux of the meditative experience or of kind of like the experience of equanimity or of no self um, and kind of quieting 
quieting the ego self very directly, right? Mm. Um, and and sure enough, um, this has seemed to be the case in in early trials of this. There there are a couple um, researchers named Jason Winetti and Tinzin Young, the Sonication Enhanced Mindfulness. Um, I think I'm saying the name of their lab wrong. <laughs> S-E-M-A lab, <laughs> uh, mindful attention maybe, um, in Arizona. And they're doing incredible work kind of trying to parse out not only how uh, can we produce a protocol that really effectively um, generates the type of experiences that we're interested in, but also Shinzen Young is a, an ordained Shingon Buddhist monk. And so- Oh, interesting. So he, and Jay also, who's a neuroscientist, but he's really interested in all the philosophical questions of like, what does it mean to stimulate an area of the brain and have an experience that feels so similar or that's approximating this, this deeply profound um, philosophical concept that we would call enlightenment or equanimity, right? To kind of go from a brain effect to a philosophical concept is is an interesting jump. <laughs> Definitely. So, yeah, so they're really interested in kind of parsing out that relationship and understanding and um, making sure to, to create the technology with as much wisdom. And so you're, you're kind of, you're stimulating the brain in, to, to achieve the same state that you might get into through years of regular meditation. Absolutely, yeah. I want to say that when I spoke with Jay last, of course, this was a little while now, so um, I assume that the that the research has has potentially gone in new directions. But they had really tried this only on experienced meditators, and one of those one of the reasons for that is that you know deep states of meditation are intense and can be actually potentially dangerous for folks who aren't ready for them. And so we don't really know what it means to thrust a person who isn't an experienced meditator into one of those deep states, which are usually earned through 10,000 hours of practice, right? Right, right. So, yeah, so that's, that's an interesting question about, you know, sometimes when we learn something, we're, we're titrating into it or, or coming in slowly and allowing the body, the brain, our, our experience to catch up, I yes. guess, in some ways. Is that something that you find across the board with these, we, we talked about neurofeedback, we've talked about direct brain stimulation, is this kind of question about, you know, um, the potential harm of getting somewhere too fast? Does that come up? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, and I would say that especially with something, um, and it's always a danger actually, even with, even with traditional meditation practices, right? You, if you go to um, a meditation retreat, oftentimes they will screen folks for um, pre-existing conditions and just to kind of watch and make sure and be mindful of what different kinds of struggles people might be dealing with and what kinds of brains you're dealing with and what kinds of um, spiritual questions you're dealing with. So this is always a danger, even if you're not uh, utilizing some form of brain-based technology. But yeah, I do think that the creators of the technologies, the ones that I spoke with at least, you know, um, I will just quickly give the caveat that no matter where you look in any industry and especially uh, when you're talking about the spiritual space, you're going to have snake oil salesmen. You're going to have, you're going to have people who are going to abuse any and every sure. mode uh, that exists. Right, right. And so, from my perspective, um, that's always important to keep in mind. 
I will say that the folks that I spoke with who, you know, I chose to spoke with them. So I did my research and I probably chose, um, you know, ones that who, who were pretty uh, ethically minded and things like that. Um, they all seem to really have um, the best of intentions in mind and um, were interested in being cautious and understanding the power of the technologies that they're that they're dealing with and that they're kind of um, designing. I mean, the idea is right that if it has the power to be a transformative in a positive sense, it probably has the power to be transformative in a destructive sense if it's if it's used unwisely. You have a very interesting uh, Dalai Lama quote um, that uh, in in the book, and he says, "If it was possible to begin become free of negative emotions by a riskless." implementation of an electrode without impairing intelligence and uh, the critical mind, I would be the first patient. I, I found that pretty interesting. Right. Yeah. And actually that the, the conference, he actually said that quote at a neuroscience conference in I think 2005 and Jay Sanguinetti, who is now the, the designer of this and researcher dealing with them, the uh, ultrasound brain stimulation headset, um, that's where he got his first inspiration to do this work. He heard the Dalai Lama, he was there in person and heard the Dalai Lama say that and thought, wow, I wanna do something like that. So, so yeah, and I think that that sentiment is really what keeps a lot of the researchers and the entrepreneurs and the, um, uh, the sort of developers of the technology going is that they really do believe that these, um, that if this is possible, and it seems as though it is on some level, right, given the enhanced brain science that we have, if it is possible to improve well-being, you know, to make this kind of experience, this deep meditative experience, this, this like um, search for enlightenment and, the, and, and more equanimity in the world, more compassion in the world, if that's possible, why not try to use whatever resources we have to do that, including brain science and brain technology. So you slipped something in there beyond well-being, beyond enlightenment, and you said about compassion. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the extension of this technology in actions towards others, which is, is often a part of, of religion and spirituality when it's not just based in the, I, I want to feel better? Yeah, um, that comes up, I think, a lot when you're thinking about um, the authenticity of the experiences that are produced using these technologies or the authenticity of any sort of religious and spiritual experience. The idea is there's lots of ways to gauge authenticity or to, to evaluate or to judge authenticity. But one way that I think is really helpful and that's been helpful throughout religious traditions, you know, um, since they began is looking at the fruit of, of the experience and the fruit of the practice. So is it changing people's lives in a way that's positive for the community, right? These aren't just the ideas that this shouldn't just be um, state changes, like fun, cool, altered states of <laughs> I just want to be blissed out all the time. Right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And of course, there's like a time and a place for that, by all means, you know, be, get blissed out. But that's not what we're thinking of when we think of spiritual growth, you know? Right. So, so yeah, the idea that instead there can be some sort of stage shift, like a spiritual development stage, um, or which often, you know, the highest, the highest form of spiritual uh, enlightenment is often something like compassion. So if you're, if you're more closely approximating compassion and equanimity and love, these kinds of, of moral virtues that are really the bedrock of uh, religious traditions and spiritual practice, 
um, then that is evidence, I suppose, in a sense that the tech or the practice is working, you know, is really getting us where we want to go. Um, most religious traditions have, <clears throat> have ways of monitoring that, you know, and, and texts that kind of teach that and stuff. And so I think it's, it's an interesting question to ask really about contemporary spirituality in general, which tends to be pretty diffuse. Um, and then also spirit tech in particular, although spirit tech doesn't really have one community. Um, but yeah, I, I hope that there continues to be kind of a, um, some sort of, um, group monitoring, but not in a negative way, <laughs> um, coaching, teachings, things like that, that can ensure that, that the effort continues to be towards those stage spiritual growth. I guess I'm asking this of both, uh, about you and, and Sarah, who's an interfaith minister, um, you know, does this, does a quick, is this a quick fix? Does it negate the journey at all? Or, or does it, does that even matter? What do you guys think about that? Don't you think we could ask that about any um, practice that has come since the beginning of time? You're right. You know, I really, we were talking, Kate, in the beginning when, when Jim and I were doing our introduction, you know, I was saying the Bible was technology. Writing yeah. was technology. Uh, divination. Uh, whether we're, we're throwing uh, cowrie shells or we're throwing ancient coins. I think all, so I think that what I'm getting from Kate's book, and I loved it. I mean, it's just so thick and there's so much in there and we need about 42 hours to go through everything that's packed into this book, but is the idea that this is, this is another way. This is, right. this is another way to try to get to those places that we're trying to get. But I don't know. What do you think, Kate? Yeah, I think that that's, I, I mean, right on exactly that, um, that, using technology for spiritual purposes isn't a new idea. Um, that's very, the specific types of technologies we've got are definitely new <laughs> and definitely come with new types of things that we need to be mindful of and um, think about. But like I said, you're always going to find, you know, corruption. It's just going to be a fact of the human experience and the human condition. But um, I do think that, you know, in a sense, the idea, the hope, right, is that it is a bit of a shortcut. The, the hope is that it does decrease the the time and labor required to to reach some of these spiritual goals um but i don't necessarily think that's a bad thing and like the dalai lama said you know if if we can decrease suffering um mm -hmm. and decrease the labor required because some folks simply don't have time to spend a, a year of their life meditating in the mountains you know if only we all did that oh we really need that i agree <laughs> i just got back I, I grew up in alaska and i just got back from a month in alaska and i feel rejuvenated oh yeah but that's yeah. an excellent point kate so if could we all feel like kate after a month in alaska <laughs> yeah you know it's, it's a great question i would say i highly recommend it <laughs> But yeah, so the idea, um, does it negate the journey? I will also say that the spirit tech innovators that I've spoken to, each one of them will reinforce the idea that there actually is still a journey, right? This isn't gonna, this isn't gonna, this isn't like a teleporting you to enlightenment, you know? It actually still does require a practice. It still requires effort. It still requires focus and um, intention that you bring to it, things like that. So for instance, the Muse headset is a popular neurofeedback headset that's on the market. Mm -hmm. and you get it, um, similar to the Zendo headset for brain stimulation. So Zendo is brain stimulation, Muse is neurofeedback. <laughs> um, 
you know, it's not going to do it for you. You're still going to have to put it on and sit there and meditate for however long you commit to a day. And, and that will be your practice. And um, so there there's really some st- animal tech right there. Yeah, yeah. we like that. We like so animals. Kate, Kate, I have a question based, based right on that, uh, you know, because, because these are products in a way, it, these are commercially um, sold products. Is there more of a possibility now that, that, that we need to be really careful about the marketing of them? Or you think that's, it's just always been that way? Like, I wonder about, um, I wonder about the privilege or the cost, or, you know, are we developing things that aren't, that are only accessible to the people who already have? Yeah, I would definitely say that that is, that's a huge concern of mine. Um, I'm very interested and mindful of those kinds of um, um, just being aware of exactly what are we allowing to to happen and what kinds of unintended consequences it's going to potentially have down the road in terms of availability of these kinds of things. Um, I will say that um, lots of the folks that I talk to are similarly aware um, of the fact that right now this is more or less limited to those who can pay several hundred dollars <laughs> for a device and that's not everybody so um so it's limiting the accessibility is is extremely limited at this point um the goal would be to reach a point where it is not limited um where uh accessibility um um, is universal. So that is a, is a wonderful goal. (laughs) And it's a, it's very easy to state that goal. It is not so easy to make that a reality. So I think that the proof will be in the pudding, you know, um, I hope I, the, the folks who I talked to, like I said, really did seem, um, very genuine and very interested in improving the future of the human experience like there is so much suffering and so much pain um and 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 to find a way to alleviate that at all is not only this this is not um i'm sure like i said i'm sure there are some just kind of entrepreneurs who are out to make a buck but there are also folks within this space who find this as a true calling it's a vocation for them and so um so i i hope to see some real effort in that direction of of increased accessibility right now especially when you're talking about something like the, the ultrasound headset, ultrasound brain stimulation, um, that's still in the, in the development phases. It's still in the lab. And lab science costs a lot of money um, and is um, slow. <laughs> so in order to, to do it correctly, it's gotta be slow. <laughs> um, but I will say that Jay Sanguinetti did assure me that actually, ironically, the, uh, a potential ultrasound headset wouldn't actually be that expensive. So it might be on the cheaper end of of what we have. In in any case, the idea of buying and selling a spiritual technology, um, so the the reliance on capitalism um, and these sort of structures, these social structures, is always something that I think we could have a huge conversation with. (laughs) I mean, I suppose you do buy and sell Bibles and you buy and sell rosaries and these kinds of things, but certainly also if you wanted, you could find a rosary for free. So 
Um, so yeah, this is that's a huge, huge question, and I think that um, as the the research and development you know moves along, and we get into we see more um, of the marketing, we'll see how that how that looks. I'm very interested from a scholarly point of view too. <laughs> well, I'm I'm curious. You know, I'm I feel like I'm catapulting us. I'm I do agree uh, personally that you know technology and spirituality. I don't have a problem with you know, a combination of two. So I'm, but I'm going to vault us into some speculation here a little bit. And you have, uh, you have a quote by, I think it's Nicole Bradford, who says, we are on the edge of the next phase of humanity. And it's incredibly exciting. We're in the moment, the next 15 years decide if our future is more Star Trek or more Hunger Games. How do you take that? <laughs> um, I think she's right. And I think that the, um, the sort of follow-up to that quote, I can't remember if I if I put it in that section or not, um, is basically she's saying that because she's saying, if we don't come at this with the right kind of ethics, the right ethical mindset, without um, awareness of the dangers involved, uh, it's probably gonna be more Hunger Games, you know? She said that we, we like 100% it's up to us to meaning just the human community <laughs> um, to understand. No, it's just me, you, and Sarah. We're deciding <laughs> this right now. I'm going Star Trek. I'm going, <laughs> going Star, Star Trek. Trek too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we see this on on all levels of our relationship with technology. And um, uh, Mikey Siegel is another thinker um, who has corresponded with and, and worked with Nicole Bradford too. Um, the goal is not to kind of exploit and continue. The relationship that we currently have with technology. It's actually to heal the relationship with technology and understand that technology can actually, um, we can actually use it for our own well-being rather than what it is currently being used for, which is mm -hmm. not well-being. You know, currently it's like if we want to have wellness, we need to turn off all the devices, <laughs> go into the mountains <laughs> and um, unplug, right? But the idea is that our relationship with technology doesn't need to be toxic that way. And, um, and these folks are very interested in healing that um, and, and hopefully reaching toward a future because tech is gonna be here whether we like it or not. So reaching towards a future where we can negotiate that relationship um, in a healthier way. And I just have a couple of minutes, but um, I, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the idea of an AI spiritual director. Uh, so Sophia is sort of a, a an advanced uh, AI that has has been um, in in conversation. Is that the word for it? Um, but I, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on an AI spiritual director and the concerns or not concerns or whatever. <laughs> Uh, I'll say that I had a lot of fun researching Sophia and watching videos of her. She, I mean, truly amazing stuff. Um, I don't think, I personally don't think we are anywhere near where I would be comfortable. I mean, I want a, I want a human who has had, right. uh, you know, if I'm going to have a spiritual director. So, um, and you know, for instance, I kind of revealed that I um, am intrigued and kind of compelled by spirit, by um, energy healing. Mm -hmm. uh, what, how, what would a, an AI would... <laughs> energy healing? <laughs> yeah. so, like uh, a spark plug or something, I don't know. Yeah, I think that there are so many cool potential uses for AI, even within the spirit tech space. Um, you know, they've created programs to help help you sort of monitor or gauge your 
um, spiritual growth or spiritual wellness, which is also a little bit of a problematic paradigm to use. But um, I'm not saying that AI should have no no role in this space, but a full AI spiritual director feels very uncomfortable to me still at this point. So <laughs> fun to think about. But. Something to think about. Well, yeah. I have one more question for you. And that is, if you had one piece of advice or, or some thought that you'd like to leave our, our listeners with about Spirit Tech, what would that be? Um, I think it would be to just um, be curious. You know, it's, it's a little bit of a scary notion, Spirit Tech in general. And I think that people are rightfully hesitant to uh, engage, um, which I think is actually the health, healthy approach, you know, to be curious cautiously curious, curiously cautious, I don't know. Um, so to maintain that balance between the two, but, um, but, but don't dismiss it, right? Because it is, I mean, maybe it won't be these particular technologies that we profile in the book. Maybe it will be some next generation of these, you know? But either way, our, our relationship between spirituality and scientific ways of knowing and our ability to generate, to design um, technologies that kind of negotiate that relationship between spirituality and science and between these kinds of two ways of understanding ourselves and the world, this is happening. And there are, um, and I, and, and similar, maybe I'm, maybe I'm sort of unintentionally echoing Nicole Bradford. So instead I will just intentionally echo her to say that um, the future is in our hands, you know, in all, in all cases, but including this one. And this is an important one, I think. Our relationship with technology, I think needs to be healed. And um, hopefully um, participating in conversations about the ways that our spiritual wellness is affected by the technology, hopefully it can be affected positively, um, is, worth, is worth giving some attention to. So that's Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kate, for joining us on Big Universe. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation and I hope that people will check out the book. Absolutely. You can find out more information about Kate Stockley at katestockley.com. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and please check out her book, Spirit Tech, The Brave New World of Consciousness Hacking and Engineering Enlightenment, co-authored with uh, Dr. Wesley J. Wildman. For more information about Sarah Bowen, go to spiritual-rebel.com. I've got premium video courses and my help to create them on my website called youthrivefear.com. Thanks, everybody. I'm Jim Lefter. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.